And as we come here tonight, we slowed it down to one chapter because it is the feast and they're, they're all there and we study them in detail. And to review what we covered, it's important, is that there at Mount Sinai as God's given the law in Leviticus and expanding on his law for the nation of Israel and their covenant with him that would guide and govern them for 1,500 years, their handbook of their relationship with God in a covenant. And as we've been looking at the principles of being in a covenant with God as his church, but in the new and everlasting covenant, the fullness of all things, where this was the shadow of things to come, which is us in Jesus, his church. With these feasts and holidays, there's tremendous typologies of Christ, tremendous shadows pointing toward Christ. And so in the beginning of chapter 23, the Lord said something right away. He said, the feast of the Lord, you shall proclaim to be holy convocations in verse two. These are my feast. So these are feasts of the Lord and they're his feast. They come, they're by him and of him and from him like the universe and salvation. They're his feast. And he gave them to his people of covenant, the Jews in the Old Testament for a very specific purpose. As he reviewed the feast, he touched on the Sabbath, that the Sabbath is a special day for, for the people of covenant. It's a day of rest with the Lord. It's not to be a burden. It's meant to be a refreshment. Jesus made that clear. Then he covered the Passover feast, which, of course, was a deliverance from Egypt. These feasts happened, this feast happened in the springtime, generally around Easter, as we study our current calendars or as we go through our current calendars. And so on the 14th day, excuse me, on the 14th day, they began with Passover feast where they each had the Passover lamb, the blood over the doorpost. Then the 15th day was when they left Egypt, as you recall, and they ate their food in haste and they, they left with the feast of unleavened bread. So for seven days, no leaven in the bread. And so that, those are two feasts that go together. Then once they're in the promised land, we get another feast. It's the feast of first fruits that runs parallel and in conjunction with Passover. It's a unique feast where they bring the very first fruits of the year to the Lord before they partook of any of their fruits that came from their vineyards and their groves and, and whatnot. So they're an agri-society. So the first fruits, the very first fruits went straight to the Lord. And then you have the Feast of Weeks, which came after that. 50 days later, you count. And that's what we know as Pentecost with the birth of the church age. And again, there's typologies with all these things pointing toward Jesus, who's our Passover lamb. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, we're told in the New Testament. And then the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, was looking to the day of the harvest of the birth of the church, the thousands of people getting saved on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and who we are to this day, the extension of that as the church. We are in the Feast of Weeks as we're continuing to serve the Lord and bring the gospel worldwide for such a time as this. Then the calendar would kind of shut down for about six months and the Jews would come back to Jerusalem for these autumn feasts. So these first cluster of feasts, Passover and Pentecost, the men were all required to be there. So they'd come for Passover and unleavened bread, go home for a month and a half, and then they'd come back for Pentecost. Then they'd go home again, and then they wouldn't come back for about six months until the autumn feast. And when you get to the autumn feast, it starts with verse 23, the Feast of Trumpets. So on the seventh month, on the first day of the month, they sound the trumpet. And that trumpet would indicate it's all about to begin the latter feast. And then on the tenth day is the Day of Atonement, which we, of course, spent a whole night on for application a couple weeks ago. That one day where the high priest would go in to make sacrifice for his sins in the holiest of holies before the Ten Commandments and the Lord. And then on behalf of the people, the scapegoat, all that. We studied it, and that is the Day of Atonement. It's a day of affliction of soul. And that would happen on the 10th day of the same month. So the trumpet would, would start on the first day. And then on the 10th day, Yom Kippur and the Day of Atonement. And then on the 15th day, 
would begin, verse 34, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would live in booths or tents for a week, which we're going to look at tonight. And then in verse 37, he said, These are the feasts which the Lord, uh, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. So again, these are feasts that come from the Lord. And with this in mind, we come to this feast known as Tabernacle, and we pick it up in verse 39. It's a very special feast. It was the middle of the month, in the autumn, at the end of the harvest, at the end of all things before the winter would settle in. So we read this. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the bow of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths, or literally tents, for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. In this chronological flow of the feasts of the Lord, this is the last one, the Feast of Booths. It's family camp. Did you catch that? It's exactly what it is. It's family camp. It's, it's getting away with the family and camping out. It's literally family camp, and it's family camp with your community. Because as a Jew, in that timeline and in the way they were, they would, the village would go together. So you'd be camping out maybe with your neighbors. So like when friends get together and they go camp out at San Clemente group campground or whatever, or go to San Onofre or Cardiff, San Alejo, or go to Carpinteria or Refugio, wherever you might go to camp. And if you go with people, Lake Hume, whatever it could be, you go there. And if you go with other people, it's family camp for a week. And it's literally a vacation. And when I was on staff at Calvary Costa Mesa, Pastor Chuck loved family camp. I was there for five years serving under Pastor Chuck. And whenever it was time for family camp, he just got so excited. Now, that was kind of the back end of the glory of family camp. Because family camp was very popular in the 80s and the 90s between Twin Peaks and these other places at Green Valley that Calvary had that they used for all these things where they do the camps. But Pastor Chuck just loved family camp because he knew how valuable it was and how important it was for men to stop to punch out from work and go away with their wife and their children and spend time with the Lord. I got to be a leader to family camp once and, and teach at family camp. Actually, it was one of my favorite stories. I'll give you the very shortest version. I was called to teach at family camp, and I didn't know that Chuck would be there. So I get up to teach, and I start to teach. You talk about someone coming down the middle aisle. It was Pastor Chuck. Came right down the middle and sat right there where Clyde is. <laughs> no pressure at family camp, huh, Clyde? Pastor Chuck in the house. But, you know... Family camp was everything. It was meant to bring the families together with the Lord and the word of God for an entire week in the Calvary Chapel days when Chuck was around. I don't even think they do family camp anymore. I'm sure, well, probably not in this year. Everything's so different. But this is God's family camp in the Old Testament. They were required. It's a, it's a have to, but it's a get to, really. You know, it is a have to by God's decree, but it's a get to. Because he wants to teach his people 
what a joy it is to be in a relationship with him. Because you see the words here are not afflicting your soul, but the words are rejoicing and celebrating. You know, the word celebration is used three times in the Bible, and this is one of the three times. Now, there's lots of implied celebration, and there's lots of events that are celebrations in the Bible, so don't think too much about that. But the fact that this word is translated here in the New King James celebration is is a very distinct thing. It's a mountaintop for the word celebration, and it's with family camp. And if you think about things that we celebrate, so let's think about celebration for a little while as we consider the Feast of Tabernacles, family camp, and celebration because God said it's a celebration so you celebrate we're going to celebrate the Lord it's his feast and he wants us to have a celebration surrounding him at family camp but you think of all the things we celebrate well you celebrate getting married right of course you celebrate a wedding day that's a big deal and then you celebrate having a child when you bring a child home from the hospital that's a pretty big deal back in the 80s we used to put a sign out front it's a boy or it's a girl I don't know if they do that anymore but you know now they have the gender parties and they you know, we won't go there, but they, you know, so anyways, we would come home with the baby, put the sign in the stork with the sign, and it's a boy or it's a girl. That's what we did. And it was a celebration. You had the baby shower to celebrate that kind of stuff. It was a celebration. You, we would maybe have a celebration if we got a big raise, a big promotion. That'd be a big deal. Celebration if you buy and own your first house. That's generally a pretty big celebration for a lot of people. Um, first car, brand new car, like, you know, when you're, if you're, you know, work the job, you get your first car and it's brand new, you celebrate that, or you worked and got a used car, you can celebrate that as well. There's, you know, you get your driver's license, that's a celebration for most teenagers, they feel very special about that. Let's go somewhere and, you know, celebrate that, right? So let's go to BJ's and have a big dinner, you passed your DMV test and you're a driver now. It's a celebration, lots of celebrations. There's other celebrations like you might, we naturally have calendar celebrations, we celebrate Thanksgiving, which really is pretty correlated to this text in a lot of ways for our country. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate Good Friday, and it's more like the Day of Atonement, but we celebrate it. We celebrate Christmas. Almost everyone celebrates Christmas. So there's things that we celebrate. We celebrate when our sports team wins a, well, we used to anyways, celebrate when our teams won a a big title, right? You have a big parade. It's a big celebration. Those are all the celebrations that we can understand and relate to. This celebration, although it's in a sense in our wheelhouse because it's from the Lord to his people and all scripture is profitable, I'm not sure the Jews in their covenant ever really fully understood or participated in the celebration the way it was meant to be because it really is a foreshadow of the things of heaven because heaven is the ultimate celebration. In the book of Zechariah, after the end of the age as we know it right now, things are renewed on earth, so it's probably the millennial reign. That would make the most sense. And, you know, the text where it says the, the, the horses have bells that say holiness of the Lord on them, that text. In conjunction with the tabernacle, the nations come to celebrate the Lord during that rain. It's when the living water flows from Jerusalem and heals the Dead Sea. There's a brighter day coming to this planet in time, space, and matter. And this feast right here is practiced and functioning during the millennial reign of Christ where horses have bells that say holiness to the Lord. It's the last chapter of Zechariah as a prophecy looking toward the reign of Christ. So, wow. Unlike Passover, which is fulfilled in what Jesus did on the cross, this feast actually has a future, a bigger future to it. And even so, after the heaven and earth as we know it is done away with 
And there's a new heaven and new earth as described in Revelation. Those last couple chapters of the Bible are so glorious and so beautiful with the trees for the healing of the nations. And it's when you read those last couple chapters of Revelation, it's so beautiful. It's so incredible. And it is hard to grasp. As I said to my father-in-law, both the last two nights, I has not seen nor ear heard those things that God has prepared for us from the Old Testament. But we're told in the New Testament that we do understand them to some degree in Christ, but the glory that's to come is so beyond our comprehension. The glory that we have through faith in Jesus Christ, if you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, the glory that we're going to, there's, there's nothing that can be compared to it. The light afflictions that is the worst life can give you are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's in store. The glory that we're going to so exceeds any concept of our mind of what we'd be joyful over or celebrate in our human experience, they're not worthy to be compared. In other words, it's out of our wheelhouse. The glory that we're going to, the joy, the kingdom, where Christ is the light and Everything is in glory in a multidimensional new dimension of eternity in heaven. And this is all a test. And the compass that takes us north to get there is Jesus Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So as we think about the Feast of Tabernacle, it had a purpose for them to be with the Lord. Family camp, a celebration. Then we're told prophetically it's going to serve a purpose in the reign of Christ. Family camp, a celebration. And then all you need to do is look to Revelation and the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. So beautiful, right? Oh, just rereading that text. So beautiful. I love weddings. Well, we've got a wedding in heaven coming. And you and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, are called the bride of Christ. And we get the first dance. It's just going to be awesome. Christ is our hope. He's everything. We're told to look under Jesus, unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith through all of life's experiences. He'll never change. There's no shadow of turning with him. So let's think about this right now, this this feast. What it would mean for us tonight as the Church of Jesus Christ on September 12th, 2020. Well, when we read that on the 15th day, they, they would do this. Okay, so everyone's ready to go camping. And it says, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, verse 39, so it is also referred to later on in the Bible, the Old Testament, as the Feast of Ingathering. So you brought everything in. So you got all your supplies at the store. It's before the supermarkets close for the year. You got all your supplies in the agri-society. You got everything in the warehouse, in the storehouse. You, there's, no more, there's nothing else to get. It's the end of the year. You've done inventory. Like businesses do inventory in December. They count the T-shirts at the surf shop, whatever. They, it's, it's inventory. You've done all your inventory. He's done everything. The trumpet's blown. You've afflicted your soul on Yom Kippur. And now it's family camp. It's family camp. And God says it's a celebration and to do it joyously. So in doing that, you, you come to the camp out and we see everything's been gathered in. You have what you have. And it says, you shall take for yourselves on verse 40, the first day the fruit of the beautiful tree, branches of palm trees, bows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. This is like a poem, doesn't it? Like, think of the description there. Like, you could have just said, bring the tree, bring the branches, build your tent. It doesn't say that. Look at the wording. You shall take for yourselves 
on the first day, the fruit of the beautiful trees. How did it all begin for us, for humanity? Fruit on beautiful trees. The Garden of Eden is fruit on beautiful trees. And when we studied Genesis two years ago in the dawn of creation and our origin, there in the first two chapters of Genesis, we're told that God put a passionate desire, as natural as a passionate desire for a man, for a woman, intimately. He put the same desire, the same words used for the fruit in the garden for humanity. Literally a passion for the fruit and the vegetables in an herbivore world in the garden before sin. Handsome Adam, sinless. Beautiful Eve, sinless. Profoundly attracted to each other, naturally attracted to each other. And all this beautiful fruit, like, (laughs) forget Whole Foods, mothers, you know, sprouts. This is the real deal. This is the real deal, like super fruit before the fall. Super fruit before death entered. And they, it was their sustenance as they shared their journey together with the Lord in the garden in the cool of the day. That's the way God set up this universe for us in time, space, and matter. The crown jewel of creation is man and woman naked, unashamed in the garden, eating really good food as herbivores, along with everything else on the planet. So I find the wording very interesting here because just the wording itself for them and what they're doing with the Lord, the feast from the Lord. They didn't make it up like, hey, we're going to celebrate God this way. God says, these are my feasts for you. And so right here, this first thing, on the first day, the fruit of beautiful trees. Bring them in. Bring in the branches of the palm trees. Don't you just love palm trees? I mean, if you take good care of them, they cost you a couple hundred bucks a year, you know, to get them trimmed and look nice. But I like my palm trees looking good. I like palm trees. I love to look at the houses in Florida with all the different tropical palms you can have in Florida, different palm trees. Go to Hawaii. Well, yeah, I just love, I love palm trees. I really do. They're special. The palm trees are beautiful. The branches, leafy trees, and willows of the brook. Look at that. Willows of the brook. Like a, you know, like a cattail in the willow by the brook. My mom used to send me to go pick them. When we lived in Virginia, I'd come back with cattails from you know, the Potomac River by the side of the river. Willows of the brook. You know, it just has this like beautiful, it's beautiful wording. And they would bring these things on the first day, and they'd be before the Lord at family camp, and they'd have their kids to pop. What's up? It's like, son, God is good all the time. Taste these mangoes. God is good. Taste this pineapple. God is good. Taste these honeycrisp apples. These are really good. Taste these grapes. Vinagrats. Grapes in Russian. Taste these. They're very good. Taste them. Taste it all. We've harvested everything. We've given the Lord the first fruits back in the springtime, and he has blessed us abundantly, whether it's feast or famine, and you would get both in the human experience. And here we are before the Lord, and no matter whether it's been a great year or a bad year, it's family camp. And God says, bring the palm branches, bring the leafy branches, bring the cattail, the willow, the brook, all these things. Bring the fruit, bring it, touch it, hold it, look at it. It's interesting because in 1 John John starts off by saying the things that we've seen and heard and touched. Speaking of the Lord, that they had touched the Lord. And of course, when you're working with younger kids, like my wife does with pre-K and uh, actually toddlers and stuff, 
you know, touch is everything. You know, there's a soft touch, something's sharp, something's fuzzy. Touch is a really big thing. Like we have all these magnets on the side of our refrigerator, and Velzi come o- comes over and he just starts ripping them off the refrigerator. But he's touching. Jennifer's like, they're, they're doing things. When he's going like this with the noodles from Mother's, I'm like, I was going to eat those for, like, lunch tomorrow. You know, she's like, well, that's, that's, that's how they're learning. Velzi wants to touch the noodles from Mother's, you know? And, like, then he's done, and they're still in the bowl. You're like, hmm, <laughs> I wonder if we can salvage those noodles. I mean, he is my grandson. I, you know, like, you know, but like, it's all, there's the senses. We're sensory. Touching is a huge thing. In fact, with my blind cousins, Kurt and Kate, there are many times where I can remember them saying, especially Kurt, Joey, my boy, I want to touch it. Let me touch it. He'd want to touch things because with the sense, he had extra senses in touch and he'd want to touch things. God had them touch things. He had them get the things that are beautiful, bring them to family camp, and touch them and look at them for a week. And those are the things that God blessed them with over the last year. So as we think about celebrating this feast with the Lord, it's celebrating and touching and owning and apprehending and reflecting and meditating upon that God is good and he's taking good care of us. As David said in the psalm, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you cut down that cattail or those willows and you cut down the branch and you grab the palm branches and you brought the fruit and you're there for family camp, you touch these things for seven days, actually more than that, but they, they spoke of God's goodness. You would look at them as God's goodness. It's if you go to Trader Joe's and you get your flowers and you put them in a vase for a week and they, they're beautiful and there's something there that they're pretty. That You look at them and they're, they're pretty. It's like they had flowers. It's like they're bouquets, and they're camping out. Many of you, when you camp out, when you're kids, you go on a, a trail hike, what do you do? They grab sticks. They grab tree branches. They grab leaves. They do different things, and they, they bring them back. They're like little treasures. When we travel with our kids and go different places, we would grab things like rocks and different things, and we'd bring them home. We'd put them by our front door. They're, they're treasures. They're things that remind us of stuff. I still have little stones from the Mount of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I, I save stuff like that. We're, we're little treasure keepers. These are treasures. I would imagine some of the Jews would take them home. It's like take the branch home. Make, you know, you can do things with dried out branches. You can do stuff. This was, this was Feast of Gatherings in the year of our Lord, you know, B.C., before Christ, before common era, whatever. You know, 890 during the time of um, the reign of Rehoboam's kid, you know, and Absalom or whatever, not Absalom, but Amnon, and like not the smartest tool in the shed, but God blessed us, and we had a good time at the Feast of Ingatherings, right? Because us having a good time at family camp isn't based upon who's the president or the king. Us having a good time at family camp is based upon who we're really looking to when we bring that fruit, cut down those trees and those branches, and bring them to our tent. It's a time of celebration to say, thank you, Lord. It's a time of gratitude. It's a time of reflection to realize how much God has done for us. And this is what's interesting about things like COVID-19 and, you know, when you're being, um, this situation has you indoors, you can't go to work or something, you should be thinking about things more, perhaps. Or when you're uh, invalided for a while, like you're laid up and you're laying in your bed and you're in a hospital, stuff like that, you start to thinking. And you start thinking about things. And you reflect upon, maybe when you're younger, you reflect upon good decisions and bad decisions. You reflect upon things And you can't go back and change things. But as you think about things, inevitably, if you're really thinking about the Lord and thinking about things, you start thinking about things that God did for you that were really good, where he blessed you. And you might think of things you never even thought to really thank him for. 
Maybe he did wonderful things in your life decades ago that you never said thank you for. Maybe he brings to your mind where he delivered you from something evil and you never even thought about it because it's in your database of all these years that you've lived, thousands of years, thousands of days that you've lived, but there was a day where something evil was going to happen against you and God protected you and you suddenly realize it when you're laying in a hospital bed that God took care of you and you say, thank you, Lord, for taking care of me. You thank him for his blessings. That's what this was about, this first thing, is to celebrate the goodness of God for the year. Cut down the palm tree, cut the branch, bring the fruit, and bring it all to family camp. And look at it for a whole week and think how God has taken care of you and provided for you. Because who he was in the past this year is who he is for your future. And that's why back in the spring we brought him the first fruits because we acknowledge him as Lord over all of our things. And all that we have is from the Lord. All that we have is from the Lord. He's our provider. He's our protector, our provider. He gives us passion and purpose and all these things. And so we brought the first fruits in the springtime. And now when it's all in gathered, we come back and we bring these things forth. And we celebrate with thanksgiving all that God has done for us. So we need to know it. So worship generation, I'd say tonight on the September 12th, where there's so much that gets our attention that seems negative or contentious or tribulation, celebrate the good things that you see God's done for you already this year. Celebrate the good, the beauty that comes from ashes that he has done. Celebrate his goodness and know that the fiery trials that try us bring forth our faith in a greater capacity like pure gold and celebrate. That's why it actually says in James that count it all joy when you fall into various afflictions because it produces maturity of faith. Celebrate God's goodness to us, his faithfulness to us and all the, the best days and the worst days and how he's brought us through them all. He's done so much more for us than we actually probably acknowledge. It's going to take all eternity to grasp it, but it's a different dimension, so we'll be able to in our glorified bodies. The second thing we see is he emphasized the need to rejoice. He said, and you shall rejoice, verse 40, before the Lord for seven days. So the seven days that you're being thankful and thinking about all the good things God's done for you in the last year, it's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of joy. It's not a time of affliction of soul. That was for Yom Kippur. You afflict your soul, kind of like Good Friday. You afflict your soul, and then Easter you're celebrating. It's like, this is not about affliction. This is about rejoicing because it looks toward the kingdom. It looks toward the kingdom age, as Zechariah points out, but it looks toward the kingdom itself. And so it's a time of rejoicing. God gave them this feast for the last feast in the cycle of feasts for every year. It's a party. It's a celebration. And you need to rejoice. Don't come in here, Debbie Downer, Danny Downer. You celebrate not about what you've done or what you accomplished, but you celebrate who God is and what he's been for you and who he is for you and who will always be for you. Celebrate the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. This seven-day family camp, hey, yeah, there's, there's going to be problems down the mountain when you come down from Twin Peaks. There's going to be problems. They'll be right there on Monday morning like they were when you left them on Friday before the, the weekend for family camp. But you celebrate at this time. You clear your calendar, leave the day plan at home, turn the cell phone off, whatever, and you just celebrate me as family camp for seven days. It's that vacation that you've never had because you don't take vacations and you actually took one for a week and you realize how much fun it was to get away for a week and you're like, hey, I should do this more often. That, that's what it is. It's a joyful time where everything else 
it'll be, because Jerusalem's on top of a mountain, you know, Jerusalem's about 3,500 square feet, or excuse me, 3,500 feet above sea level. It does get snow at times. So when they say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, they did go up, because Tel Aviv's sea level. So from Tel Aviv, or coming from Samaria, or coming from the, you know, the Dead Sea, that's six, 600 feet below sea level, you're, you're going up. So you literally would go up to family camp, and then you go down the mountain from family camp and go back for the winter and what, what winter would bring, and the next springtime, you'd be back for Passover. But you'd celebrate. Now, the idea of rejoicing is critical in the Christian faith, and, and this is something you know I talk about a lot, but we should be a people of, of faith and confidence for the future. We should be people of optimism and confidence because who we believe in, what he's capable of doing, what he's done, and what he promises to do. And I'll admit, for most of us, it's been very hard to be positive and optimistic at times in the last five months. That goes without saying. There are things that are very frustrating that are out of our control that affect us. But we have been saying all along that we need to purpose to, to keep a positive perspective based upon faith in Jesus through these events and, and not let them move us, but Jesus is our compass north. And because Jesus is our compass north, we can rejoice. In fact, it says, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and fisher of our faith, for the joy set before him, he did not despise the cross and the shame. So as we look unto Jesus, the author and fisher of our faith, he, for the joy set before him of heaven and the kingdom and the ultimate celebration, the marriage feast of the Lamb and all the kingdom age, he endured his afflictions, not despising them. And we look unto him and we follow the same line. Now, on the topic of joy, we see in the Old Testament, there's plenty of psalms that talk about rejoicing in the Lord. There's plenty of examples where the people of Israel did rejoice in the Lord. When Ezra and those guys came back from captivity, they rejoiced, they shouted, they laid the cornerstone. When they were building the wall of Nehemiah, they rejoiced. There's plenty of times when the people rejoiced. When Josiah did the revivals and did the Passover feast, the people rejoiced. There are many, many times where you see these people under this covenant coming together in Jerusalem and rejoicing. So we know you can, there are examples personally and collectively as a nation that they did in their covenant. And certainly as a church, we rejoice at various times with various things. In the teachings of Jesus, he certainly talked about joy a couple times, more than a couple times, but specifically John catches a lot of it. But in the Gospel of John, that last night, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that your joy would be full. So if we're lacking joy, the chances are his word is not penetrating our heart and our minds and our lives. Because the things that he just spoke to him was about abiding in him, that's John 15. It comes on the back end of I am the vine, you the branches, abide in me, you'll bear, bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But before that was John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So it's all these collective teachings that he was sharing at that time where he says, these things I've spoken to you that your joy would be full. So as we're looking for joy in our journey right now, we're going to find it through God's word. His word is going to keep us positive. His word is going to keep us optimistic. His word is going to help us keep the plumb line straight and keep perspective on all these things where they keep moving the field goal, if you will. Things just keep changing every week. But his word doesn't change. It's absolute. And his word, he's spoken that we would have joy. So as we just stay in his word, we keep plowing, we keep taking it in, there's going to be joy because it builds us up and it encourages us. Then later on in John chapter 17, on the topic of joy, Jesus said, 
that uh, praying to the Father, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. So he prayed to the Father that the joy that he had, the joy that he had in his journey, that we would have that joy whatever we face. Like Paul and Silas praising the Lord in prison in Philippi, that we're not going to be moved from a place of joy. We don't have to fake it or manufacture it. The joy isn't because we've taken a beat down or lost our job or anything else. The joy is because Jesus is on the throne and he's with us and he's coming for us. And there's a day coming in glory that's indescribable. That this is not the end. The darkest day on earth, the worst disappointment of life. That's, that's, not, that's not the end. That's just, this is just preparing us for the glory. And we want to keep that in perspective. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacle did for them. It gave them perspective. I, now I want you to rejoice for seven days. No, no, don't start, don't start talking about the news. Nope, nope, nope. Hey, turn off the social media, right? Like, forget it. It's us and the Lord, family camp. And we're just going to rejoice in the Lord. That's what this was. But really, for us in Christ, we're meant to be people of joy. And I, when I catch myself being negative or eggy, as they say in the surf culture, I just, I catch it. I don't like it. And I look, okay, why am I being like this? Because things are pushing my buttons. I'm just clear my mind, stay in the word. The word will bring me joy. Jesus is joy. And um, that's, that's how it has to work. Because Jesus said that our, he spoke these things that our joy would be full, and he prayed that our joy would be fulfilled in, in him. And then when we look at the book of Acts, time and time again, as I mentioned, there's joy with the Lord. They have joy. They went their way rejoicing when they're persecuted. We see this. In the epistles, we see joy, 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 time and time again. And of course, to seal the fruit on this one, we just go to the fruit of the Spirit. Because in Galatians 5, we read and we know that joy is one of the fruit or the descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit. Is joy. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So it comes right there after love. This is joy. So I want to encourage us to just remain joyful in these afflictions and these difficulties. Not be moved by things that would take our joy away. There are people who don't get it, and they're never going to get it. And they generally control everything on the planet right now. So don't let them influence your world. They have their day, we'll have our day. You follow me? There are some people, they're never going to get it. And you can't make them get it. Just make sure you get it. This is not the end game. Whatever happens in the coming months, we're going to heaven, and we're going to be with Jesus, and we're going to be in glory. And we're going to rule and reign with him, as it says in Revelation. I don't want to reign over anything on planet Earth right now. But if the Lord wants me to reign over parts of planet Earth, the millennial kingdom, okay. I'll be some kind of glory. I'll be better equipped to do it. And I'll reign with righteousness because it comes from the king and I'm serving the king. And as the waters cover the sea, so righteousness will cover the earth when Christ reigns. Now, okay, that's what's coming. The people around us that want power all over this planet, these oligarchs, these masters of the universe, <laughs> they're going to come and go, WG. Don't let them move you. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. Let's think about his goodness. Let's praise his name. Let's rejoice for days and days. We're people of rejoicing because our hope is heaven. We're going where there's no shadow of turning with Jesus. And we got, we got a great future in front of us, worship generation. Celebrate it. Jesus says celebrate, rejoice, and celebrate for our joy. We're, our disposition needs to be one of faith and confidence. 
And then the last thing is the legacy. Look at verse 42. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. In the Feast of Tabernacles, it's designed to pass on the legacy to the next generation. It's designed at family camp to educate your children of the next generation that what God has been for you, he'll be for them. It is built into, is designed to do that. So you would naturally have conversations about the Lord, his faithfulness to you. And you could tell your kids, hey, this is what God did for me back in the day when this happened or when the Midianites invaded the land and we hid right there and then they passed over us. They, they went right before us. They, we, they didn't even see us. We were right there and God protected us, you know, and like Gideon telling his kids, you know, like the man, they came by and they, I was grinding and they didn't see me. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to me. It's a crazy. God is faithful, kids. You can trust him in all things. Like that's what you get. Each generation, you, you declare the legacy. And our legacy of faith is not one of, of, of a dour, sour, doom and gloom. Our legacy of faith is one of confidence and expectation of the promises of God. That we, we truly believe the promises of God, not only for our lives for the day of the Lord, but for their lives, for their generation, all that God wants to do in their life. It's not the end of the world in November. Well, if it is, it's only because Jesus comes back. It's the Lord's in control. But everyone just, it's like the whole planet's waiting for our election to be resolved so they can decide what the world looks like. I'm not waiting for the election to be resolved so I can decide what the world looks like. The world looks like Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and we're the church. And we need to be living for today. September 12th, the commission, the Great Commission. We need to be living for today. Everything God wants to do in our life is character of Christ. I don't need to wait till elections over to decide that I'm going to do this or do that. I need to do this or that because this is the day I have that the Lord's given us. And that's the same for you and all of us. There'll be a tomorrow. There's a future and a hope for the children of God. God's not done with the church, so he's done with the church. And you know, the trumpet that sounded on the first day of the month for them, hey, the trumpet for us is going to sound a lot better because Jesus comes with the sound of a trumpet. It's just like a little prelude. This trumpet doesn't compare, and his trumpet's only going to sound once. But I think we'll know when we hear it if we're not already in eternity and in glory. But that next generation is faith and joy. Always faith, always joy. There's joy in the journey, and that's what we understand. And so when they would come at the end of the inventory, the Feast of Ingathering, they had their family traditions. They had their things that they got together, and they talked about their faith, and they made known to their children, their children's children, God's faithfulness to them. And they reflected on their joy in the Lord and their joy in the journey and the joy of the destination because the joy of the destination is better than the joy of the journey. Because as for me, to live is Christ, but die is gain. The destination is greater than the journey. And I close with this thought about joy. Jesus in Matthew 25, on the parable of the minas, where you know the one gets one, they bury it. The one gets two, they multiply it to four. The one gets five, they multiply it to 10. In that passage of Matthew 25, between verses 13 and 31, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, he says, enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, that passage of Scripture, absolutely contextually, is one of two for sure that Jesus taught very clearly an earthly story, a parable with a heavenly meaning. And in this one, he's teaching the heavenly meaning about standing before the Lord at the end of the age and giving an account of our lives. And in that parable, the two that got four and the five that got ten, they got the exact same words spoken to them, enter into 
the joy of your Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So there is a greater joy coming. And in this parable, Jesus says, enter in to the joy of the Lord, to the highest level of joy that's beyond our cognitive understanding and capabilities right now. But we can experience joy because I've spoken these things that you would have joy. He prayed to the Father that our joy would be full in him. Our joy will transcend dimensions much like love and faith, you know, but you don't need faith when you're in eternity, but the love will transcend that and, and joy would as well. But that parable tells us there's a greater joy. And that's why it says of Hebrews that despising the cross, but for the joy set before him, he endured what he despised in the cross. So there's not only a joy that we have while we're going through it, but there's a joy set before us on the backside and the other end that we're going to. Jesus is our compass, and he points north. We don't get to do family camp too much anymore these days, and we don't do the Feast of Ingatherings anymore. But the lessons are there that we, we definitely want to lay hold of and touch and, and, and really own and know what God has blessed us with and celebrate that. And we want to have that rejoicing in the Lord. And maybe we do need to get away with the Lord. That's not a bad idea. But to have that joyful disposition overflowing from our lives with the fruit of the Spirit from our life and to pass that on to our children, to not be like legalistic or just harsh or whatever, but to truly have the joy of the Lord in our lives, that's infectious for our kids. And they'll, they'll, learn, they'll learn to have faith. They'll learn to walk in discernment. They'll want to know his love. They'll want to know his fruit. They'll want to bear good fruit. I was so proud of my daughter, Leah, yesterday. You know, she's raising two kids, works, does all these things. And, and you know, on a day where her mom is first day of school with the students, first day in months since COVID, and being told that her dad's dying at the same time right down the street, but has to be at school meeting the new kids and teaching class. And I'm picking up my dad from having a tube put down his mouth, trying to identify what's causing internal bleeding. And on this day of all this noise in Leah's world, she found a way to catch me with my dad a block before I dropped him off at his facility and to come by with Zippy and Belzy and the grandkids and give my dad a hug and tell grandpa she loves him. She made that happen. Let me tell you, that was time sensitive. If you miss that, if the Lord puts it on your heart and you missed it, you missed it. That was time sensitive. That was so time sensitive. And then two hours later, to be with Bill, my father-in-law, and praying over him, and he's telling her that she's going to he's going to heaven to see Pat and Jesus. She could have missed it. She had all the excuses in the world, a busy day, two kids, all that. She could have missed it, but she didn't. Of all the days I've ever been proud of Leah, I was really proud of her yesterday because she was in tune and she was there with the love and the joy. We want to be in tune with the love and the joy and fulfill everything that we have right here, right now, this day, this time. Don't lose heart. Stay strong. All eyes on Jesus.